Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, brand worn by John McEnroe, Vegas Garolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com. Use the code SHAP30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. The Brain Dead collaboration is bad to the bone. You need to get those clothes. You need to get those socks, the headbands, the wristbands. It is all very, very good stuff. Very cool. We're on the ground at the BMP Paribas Open and have a special show for you today. My guest is a former world number one and Hall of Famer. He's a broadcaster on Tennis Channel. And with all that's going on in the world and the world of tennis, we decided to do a hot button topic show. Today's guest is my friend, friend of the show, James Spencer Courier. And this is the Sunshine Double Special. First of all, what do you, I mean, you just finished that Rafa match. Yes. How's he winning at 35? What Ra- were you doing when you were 35, by the way? I was already playing on the Champions Tour. At that point, we had the Champions Series up and running. So, uh, you know, 35 just seems so foreign to me. But the way that he loves to compete and he's, he's been able to manage his body and all the issues, uh, it's just so inspiring. He's just such an amazing cat. Ladies and gentlemen, kings and queens, we are coming to you from the broadcast veranda off of the Tennis Channel's broadcast studio. Gentlemen, you hear former world number one, friend of the show, won two French Opens, two Australian Opens, and he is my friend, James Spencer Courier. Hello, Craig Shapiro. Great to be with you, buddy. Second time on the show. I must have done okay in the first one. Just off of the Rafa match, Rafa yeah. just beat Riley Opelka. Breaker, breaker. I think 7-3 in the first breaker, 7-4 seven, seven, in the in second, second breaker. Yeah. Um, I felt like Riley played just well enough to lose close. <laughs> well, Riley played great. Uh, make no bones about it. He was up a break of serve in the second set, wasn't able to hold on to it, but... His level of tennis is there, and what I like about what, what Riley's doing right now is his attitude is also there. You know, he's been an, a little negative at times, on a little hard on himself, and he had very few blips out there today. He fought hard, played well, and he is a beast to deal with, but Rafa's a beast too. I thought that he lost too many love games on, that, on Rafa's serve. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't competing well when he was returning or am I being hypercritical you're being hypercritical I think that first of all he's got fine fine ways to hurt Rafa with the first ball because if you on the return because if you don't Rafa just pummels you on the plus one so it took him a little bit of time to actually find where he wanted to return serve from he was actually drifting back deep to where Rafa was returning from at a time and that didn't really pay the dividend he was looking for so look I, I'm much more bullish I guess um, on on what Riley was up to today than you are but you know you're you're a man with a, a very critical eye well no I think you just want to start seeing these you know he you know Corda lost a match he should have won mm. it felt like that second set you just kind of want to see these guys pull through particularly against a 35-year-old Rafa. I think that's my... Listen, I, thir- <laughs> the, the tennis ball doesn't know how old Rafa is, and this is his best start in his career. He's 18-0. and 0. He's never done that. Uh, listen, as you know, we normally do a five-set format. I'm not doing that this time. We're going to just do a hot-button current yeah, event special. Let's crush it and rush it. Ukraine. 
Yes. Uh, Ukraine is on all of our minds. Just this uh, just this morning, uh, President Zelensky spoke to Congress. Tennis is so international and cosmopolitan. We all know people that are involved in this. Uh, you've been quite outspoken with regards to your your belief that the Russian players should be playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, th I think the Russian players are not part of the Putin machine. They're, they're individual contractors who play professional tennis. I don't think that they should be penalized, but they're, they are not allowed to play for the Russian flag, which I, you know, I, who cares what my opinion is, but that's what tennis is saying. I do agree with it. And they're not able to play team competition, which would, you know, provide uh, a win for Mother Russia. And, uh, you know, I, what I have not had a chance to say on air because I haven't covered a match with any Ukrainian players is how much admiration I have for those players that they can even get out of bed in the morning and come and go to work given what's going on in their country, given what might be happening to their families. It's astonishing to me that they have the the uh, energy and, and the toughness to do it. And I'll say this, Shappy, you know, back in the 90s when, when the first Gulf War took place, I was playing, uh, I was playing Gilad Bloom that day in the Australian Open, an Israeli player who was in the top 100. And I remember seeing the look in his eyes in the locker room, and he was just vacant because they, all, his family were in a bunker with gas masks on as we went out to go and compete. So I've, I've seen a little bit of what it's like to be on, on that side through Gilad's reaction, and it's just it's so sad that this is happening for, and, for everyone. And to, to, to that point... You know, I had Stykovsky on my show uh, a yeah, week and a I half ago. It. Oh, you did? Yeah. And and he he echoed that sentiment that the Russian players should not be penalized, that they really made their way themselves, that these guys have really – and he said he doesn't even think they ever even voted. <laughs> Look, I mean, Rublev and Dubai put on the camera, please no war. I mean, these people have absolutely nothing to do with the Putin machine, nothing. We know these. We know these players. So um, I look. It, if they're penalized, they're penalized, and, and you know, nations can make that decision. You know, the sports minister of, of Great Britain said something along the lines of, of they might have to disavow Putin if they want to play in our country, which would be you know pretty foolish because that they they would put their families in peril if they did so. So Correct. anyway, it, it's just such a it's such a shame, and it's obviously a, a crime what's happening right now in Ukraine. And, you know, the other super, I mean, there's nothing worse than war, but nope. the fact that the world number one, now world number two, Daniil Medvedev is, you know, in that spotlight yeah. is, um, it's got to be very uh, difficult. Do, do you believe that he was impacted the other night when he lost to Monfi? Only he knows what exactly is He didn't speak to happening. it, did he? I, don't, I didn't see the transcript, so I'm not sure, but only he knows how impacted he is by this we don't know what's going on in these players worlds we don't know what might be happening we don't know if if you know the authorities are trying to seize their assets because they have a russian passport we don't know any of that and i hope that's not the case but i wouldn't be surprised if they were dealing with a lot more than than we're aware of what did you think of what Marta kostiuk had to say she spoke to the fact that the russian players hadn't you know talked to her in confidence about i i understand her emotion and I, I give a lot of room for her emotion. Uh, and I think, you know, 20 years from now, when we all look back on this, I think we'll understand that this was political. This was one man's move. And the tennis players are, 
the smallest piece of that puzzle. You know, we are we are really focusing on the wrong things if we're talking about how this is impacting tennis players, other than the Ukrainian tennis players. Um, yeah. You know, who who yeah. can you know have their families in in the line of fire, literally. Why did Novak not pull out of this tournament? Why was he in the draw right up until the bitter end? I. I heard you say something, but I didn't hear that you complete the thought, and I was curious. That often happens when I'm doing television. <laughs> something else happens, and we forget about it. But, look, I, I think in his heart of hearts, from what I gather, he was hoping that there would be a change in policy and that he would be allowed to compete, and he wanted to give himself the best chance to to try and compete. The way that, you know, Novak has is, is been – uh, consistent in his approach. He, he is not going to get vaccinated. That is clear. He is going to try and play using the rules that are available. And he tried to do that in Australia. He does not issue visas. He does not uh, control the borders of, of the Australian border. And the fact that two other people who had the same exemption that he was given uh, by a blind panel got into the country and were working for a week. One player who played a tournament, one coach who coached a tournament, and that he was stopped at the border. It's 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 screams of political political uh, moves by people looking for publicity. And and uh, you know, I don't think he should have even tried to get in there. But the rule was there. He got the exemption. He tried to get in, and it became a, a real mess. But he's been clear on what he wants. He wants to play, and he's not going to get vaccinated. When this pandemic moves to an endemic, which it seems like at this point in time, it, we might be getting closer to that. You know, he might have some more chances to play coming down the pike here sooner than later, which, you know, would be great for him. And it would be great for all of us if that's the case, because that means we're dropping, you know, the, we're not as under threat in our hospitals as we currently, you know, ha or have been recently. It's complicated, man. But did you think it was bad form for him to hold till they actually had to make make changes in the draw he's being consistent to what he does which is to try and and you know get what he wants within the rules he's allowed to to stay in the draw i would have chosen if i were him to withdraw just prior to to the qualifying starting so the next person in would get in i think he could use the good publicity to be honest i really do i think you know he, he could use a shot of of good pr but he is within his rights it's within the rules for him to do what he's doing and he's doing that Naomi Osaka had a breakdown on court the other night. Um, she she was heckled by one woman in the crowd who just said, Naomi, you suck. And she went into, she cried. She, she asked to speak to the crowd, lost the first set six, six love, got herself together but not well enough to beat. Like to Kuder, win the match. Was it Kuder Matova that she to lost? Kuder Matova. Yeah. When, when she did lose the match, they let her speak to the crowd, and she said that the being heckled here at Indian Wells made her think about when Venus and Serena yeah, got poured down mm -hmm. on years ago and that it triggered her. Yeah, it was a callback in her mind to that. Look, I, I hope that she continues to, you know, pursue peace of mind in her life. I think this was just a, a another example that, that she's on a journey and she's trying to find that balance between being able to come out and do the job that, that uh, she's so good at and be able to manage all of the aspects that come with it, including criticism and including, at times, hecklers. And, and look, 
I think the best way to, to learn about this, and, and this is, I'm not just blowing smoke up Nadal because I love him so much as a player, but I love who he is as a person. If you read the transcript of Nadal here at Indian Wells and listen to him talk about it, and you won't hear the tone, but believe me, his tone is purely empathetic. You will get that he is empathizing with her, but also stating pretty clearly this is part of the job and you have to make peace with it and you have to find a way to get past mean people because there are going to be mean people in the world. And that's the, the real struggle that, that hopefully she's on her journey to coming to terms with what her reality is if, she, if she's going to be a pro tennis player. We want her to be happy. We want her to be healthy. That's first and foremost. If she can achieve those two things, then come back and play. And, and we, she's an amazing talent. And she can do more great things in this sport. It's just going to be hard for her if she doesn't find the right, you know, work-life balance. And and I I feel for her. It's tough times. And she also said in her presser in advance of that match that she, if she had her druthers, would try to play the least amount of tennis that you could. Mm-hmm. What did, what did you make of that? Like, to me, I, I don't share my opinions on my show often, but well, I feel it. like she needs to be careful because she this game is doesn't it, it doesn't really wait for anybody. <laughs> and if she yeah. is not careful, she's going to get passed over. That's what I kind of think. Yeah, look, I I think first and foremost, her health is, is the primary. Get get that in the right place. Her talent isn't going anywhere. If if she's healthy, she's young, right? We know that. If she stays healthy and and she feels comfortable coming back, if it takes a year, if it takes a week, if it takes five years, she could still continue to achieve in this sport. I don't think I don't agree with you that the game would pass her by. That she would be unviable in five years' time. And that's just you know I'm just throwing a number out there as a hypothetical. I think that she's an amazing athlete who has shown that she can withstand immense pressure. I mean, what she withstood against Serena in her first U.S. Open final and how she served that match out was mind-blowing to that's me. Sort of that the, that's amazing, isn't it? But that's sort of the part that doesn't add up, that she can't handle some of this ticky-tack stuff but can play. Life is complicated, right. Chappie. Yeah. People are complicated, complicated. And, and I you know, I, I just keep going back to she she is on a journey and from what i can see and and it's there there's still plenty of road to travel and she's got a lot of exciting things off court that she can keep herself busy with if that if that's what gets her excited in the morning but hopefully she'll come back and be a part of this sport that's given her all those opportunities it sounds just from hearing your words that you can identify with some of the struggle i mean i remember there were years that were darker for you than others and you had tough times well look this it's not easy to grow up in in a spotlight and to have your your failures um you know really become a story and that's what happens when you become a top player is that if you win an early round match it's, it's not newsworthy but if you lose it is and that's different when you're an up-and-coming player only your successes get highlighted and i will will say unequivocally i never had an iota of the amount of fame or spotlight that Naomi Osaka has on her. So I can't relate to what she's going through on on that level. But I know in my little world, you know, you get used to, you know, getting people knocking you down and punches coming at you from, you know, not literal punches, but, you know, the the uh, all the all the the verbal punches coming at you and you're a target. So it but listen, 
again, I point to Rafa. There are ama so many amazing things about the life you get to live, is what he pointed out, because you're a tennis player. And, and there, we should never lose sight of that. Uh, we're all very lucky, and that includes Naomi Osaka, even though she's going through a tough time. I have more troubling things to talk about, but Great. I, I don't want to pivot. About? Yeah, Jensen Brooksby, man, okay, bad cool. to the bone. <laughs> yeah. He's so fun to watch, isn't he? He's just got his own little style. Give me your breakdown on him. I, I'm always stunned at how, how I can't believe how he dismantled Sitsipas. He doesn't really miss. His movement is incredible. And why is he able to get away with that serve? Like, I, that's the part that kind of befuddles me that he's. You his, just answered your own question. Great movement. Yeah. You know, great hands. I watched him play last year, Roland Garros, last round of qualies. I walked out. I walked out to go watch him. Was it last year or was it two years ago in the fall? I can't remember exactly. But anyway, I watched him play last round match in qualies because he'd been tearing up the challenger circuit. Yeah, so I went to go watch ago. two years ago. I yeah. went to watch him and I watched like it was in a third set and I watched like four or five games and I just wasn't seeing it. I was like, I, this guy keeps winning, but I don't really know how he does it. Yeah. And then you start to dig a little deeper, and you watch more and more of his matches, and you start to see that he's a special competitor, and he's got a special mind and vision of the game that, quite frankly, confuses a lot of his opponents. And it's really fun to watch him break them down and drive them crazy, <sighs> and he is a fierce, crazy. fierce point-in-point-out competitor. And by the way, drive them crazy. Yeah. Uh, is he a little bit of a gamesmanship? Is he going to get straightened out in the locker room one of these days for tapping the racket on the cement? I mean, I think the only time that, that people get bent out of shape is if you do stuff against your opponent and you start acting like a jerk to your opponents, which so far from what I've seen from him, I haven't really seen. I mean, he gets mad at himself. Yeah. But I haven't seen him do any underhanded things towards the people he's playing. Have you? We've we've we noticed that he smacks the racket on the on the court like when he's out of the point. Oh, like and a hockey guy. Like uh, like, like to make a bang, noise. Like they like, bang the yeah, hockey sticks. Yeah, like to bang the stick. Yeah, that, that's not that big of a deal. But you know, yeah. that, someone might take issue with it. Um, how good is he? Really good. Top ten for sure. Top ten for oh, sure. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. When does he crack the top ten? I'd say in the next three years. Could be sooner, but I'd say a three-year window for a lot of these guys to crack top ten. Because you got to remember, in three years, we don't know where Rafa is going to be. Roger almost surely is not going to be in the picture, and Novak probably is. But that's only one guy to deal with in the draw. That that's basically a guaranteed loss. So we'll we'll see. I, I think there's a lot more runway for these guys. Your opinion of the news today that all the majors are going to have a 10-point breaker in the fifth set? I think if I'm a player, I probably like it because it gives clarity and you don't have to worry about it. I've literally seen players at the majors be confused. Uh, like there's a player at the Australian Open this year in a, in a final set tiebreak that thought they'd won the match at, at seven and then realized they had to buckle down and win three more points. So... I think it's good for continuity. I don't know that it matters that much from a fan standpoint. I, I didn't mind that they were all different. It didn't bother me. But um, if it points towards more continued cooperation between the big powers that be in our sport, I think all the better. What's the longest fifth, five set, fifth set you ever played? I played Shang Shokin at Wimbledon, something like 13-11 or 12-10. It was a long one. I, I, was in a, I was in a world of hurt after that match. 12-10. Was it 12-10? No, no, no. It was something like that. Yeah, it was long. You got the W? 
I got the W. That's a good win. Yeah. Um, Nick Kyrgios just uh, got into the back. He's, he's on the back end of the tournament right now. Uh, Yannick Sinner had to pull out, I think, with a, I believe, with a toe issue. Is that uh, what it was? I'd heard he was sick, but it's a toe issue. Oh, is issue? that right? I, I, I could have it wrong. I was, could, I was in the arena when I heard I, about I it. I watched him last night. I was in the player restaurant. He was out kicking a soccer ball with his team, like, in, in dusk. So, I mean, hopefully it's not a toe issue. Um, Kyrgios is at the back end of the tournament. He plays Rafa next round. Mm -hmm. How is it that he can compete so well without really what it appears to like doing the work? Like an, when he an immense amount of natural talent. One of the game's purest serves, a great backhand, yeah. raw athletic ability. What he lacks in work, he can make up for, especially in best of three set matches in just natural, you know natural athleticism that's been honed to a certain point to be a really good tennis player have you talked to him do you know him we did a couple of matches together a few years ago at the australian open he came and was a guest commentator and that's the most time i've ever spent with him so i don't i wouldn't say that i know him what what i would say is that he is quite popular in the locker room with a lot of players and um you know i think he's quite personable and quite vulnerable in in many ways in his life and uh and there's no doubt that he has just charisma, which is really rare. By the way, that is Popcorn Central, man. Curios Rafa. Yeah, that uh, should be a sellout. That's going to be unbelievable. You would think so. That'll be Thursday. And, and, I would imagine Thursday night. And Nick's going to be fresh. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's fresh. He, he's definitely <laughs> fresh. He's out of the doubles. He and Kokonakis lost in the doubles to Isner and Sock. So he's going to be fresh. And he's, he's a threat. He's beaten Rafa three times. And he... Um, he routine Casper Ruud the other night. He played really, handful, really well. Man. He's a handful. He's so tough to deal with, huh? Well, he's just his game is tough. Yeah. His serve is so pure. I mean, Nadal get, gets through Opelka to now face Kyrgios. Uh, That's not easy. It'll, it's a little bit more normal because the, the ball doesn't bounce quite as high, but the accuracy is amazing from Nick. Have you had any um, interesting communication with Darren Cahill? Darren Cahill essentially spit the bit he he was here to coach amanda nisimova and he he explained uh per, to, uh personally and then publicly that he has hit some kind of mental wall uh and felt impacted because of the covid restrictions mm -hmm. that he had been dealing with for the last two two and a half years in yeah. australia yeah I haven't reached out to Darren because it fe feels to me, and he's a he's a friend and and someone I admire greatly. Uh, arguably the best broadcaster and analyst in in tennis, and an, arguably the best coach in tennis. That's a pretty nice combo for a guy who's a semifinalist himself in the U.S. Open in the singles. So, and he's just a, an even better guy than that. I can't say enough good things, and no one can. We all love Darren, and and I think, you know, I'm I'm giving him space because I'm sure he's hearing from everyone he knows, but. Um, listen, he's not the only Australian player, media person who's been dealing with having to go into quarantine when they went back home. And thankfully, that's now gone. They don't have to do it uh, anymore. But, you know, going down there for two weeks at a clip and in his case, having to do it a, a double shift because he lived in he lives in South Australia in Adelaide and you had you couldn't fly nonstop there. So you had to do one when you landed in either Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, wherever you got in. And then when you went to cross the state lines, you had to do another 14 days. And I think that was very difficult. Clearly it was. So, uh, you know, I just sent it in my best. That's basically it. 
um, Annie Samova left the, left a match the other night after, you know, um, essentially blowing the second set and then finished. Do yeah. we have any information on what no. happened there? No, she said she was sick. We'll take her at her word. Said she was had had some sort of a cold and just didn't feel right. We're at the back end of uh, the BNP Paribas Open. Um, what have your perspectives been? Um, you know, really the first time, first times we're seeing no Williamses, no no Fed, no Novak, no Roger. Um, a lot of fresh faces. The women's draw is wide, wide open, yeah. and the men are hard charging with Rafa, you know, still looking like he's in Catbird. Yeah, look, first of all, I think there's a real feeling of joy and catharsis because we feel we, we seem to be coming out of the of the pandemic restrictions at, at a pretty fast rate. No one's wearing a mask. You have to be vaccinated to get in, but otherwise no restrictions that I've noticed. Have you noticed any? I have not. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> and I've noticed that the crowds have been excellent, smiling, joyful, and the players too. The players are, are I think, kind of like, oh my gosh, we're almost, we're, we're back to normal. And that, that feels good. And Miami should certainly be pretty wide open, you, you would think as well. So uh, this is a good stretch of time for the tennis world. And it's, it's a good test of the durability of tennis without some of the names you mentioned. And I think tennis will be durable, especially events like this. These events are things that people point to in their calendar as a time to come and celebrate a sport they love. And they don't know who's going to be in the finals. Even if all those big names that, that are not here start the tournament, they may not finish it. So I think that tennis is in a good spot and we're going to develop new stars as we go. These are opportunities for new players to emerge and, and to uh, you know, grab a few of the fans that are going to be around because there will be plenty of them this weekend coming up for the finals. Are you headed to Florida? Yeah. You? Indeed. I go tomorrow. Oh, nice. Uh, listen, uh, can't no, thank no, we're you. Can't thank you well. enough. That's um, it. We're done. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be done because you look like you're a man with a, a plan. And a no, lot no, no, to no. Do. I thought that maybe this was a good 25 minute well, that's uh, turn and burn. That's all we need. 25. Hey man, listen, we're done. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I will see you in your home state in uh, a few days enjoy the back end of this tournament it has been really a joy to be down here it always is and uh james spencer courier you are released you look good in that sergio tacchini <laughs> did well, last question did you ever get i know you wore fila for a minute did you ever get approached by tacchini never never got approached by tacchini i i was uh but I love the clothes. They're they're classic. They're cool. But I was a Borg man, so Fila was was my style. And that was your first deal after. No, no, no. I, I was Diodora, another Italian company. You were I was Diodora. Diodora, then I was Nike, and now I'm New Balance. But when did, you didn't wear? What do you? I never wore Fila as a pro. I wore it as oh. a junior. Oh, you wore it as a junior. Yeah. It was Diodora. Was your first, your first deal That's as it. a pro. That's right. Oh, I had that wrong. That's okay. My man, we learn something every day. Okay, that's it for us. Over and out. Peace. Huge thank you to Jim Courier. Thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at SergioTacchini.com. Use my code SHAP30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.